welcome back everybody to our humanity i'm so excited to have a wonderful colleague and dear friend of mine dr ann samarco she's a urogynecologist at university hospitals but of course her views do not reflect those of her employers she has expertise and experience in the treatment of pelvic organ prolapse urinary and fecal incontinence maternal birth injury which we'll be talking about today as well as fistula care and gender affirming surgery she is actively engaged in research and quality improvement initiatives that are aimed at improving maternal pelvic floor following traumatic deliveries. And that is why I wanted her to speak to us today about how to counsel women and what women should know about or maybe don't want to know about before they give birth. So please welcome Dr. Anne Samarco. Hey, Anne, can I call you Anne? <laughs> call me Anne, if I can call you Rachel. Of course, you can call me Rachel. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking what I would do is kind of start off by giving these stats that I pulled up. So basically, for women in general, um, the risk of an injury that is like a third or fourth degree, which is involving the rectum, involving the sphincter muscle of the rectum. And I'll let you explain why that's important. But these are kind of the worst tears that people are afraid of and hear about and unfortunately have to recover from. That risk is about 6.7% in the general population. But if you have a baby and you have not encountered that sort of injury, then your future pregnancy, your risk is only about 1.5%. However, if you do have a third or fourth degree laceration, your risk of incontinence or just lack of control of feces and gas um, can be up to about 47%, which is compared to the average 13% for women. So that's why this is so important because Nobody wants to lose control over their feces or gas. So, um, <laughs> Dr. Shimoko, is that kind of similar to the numbers that you tell people or what you see in your practice? Yeah, we'll start out just kind of like going over the different types of tears and we'll oh, go into the different, um, what that means for patients. So, when we talk about anal sphincter injury with delivery, there's few pieces that we're talking about. So, we're talking about the space between the vagina and the rectum, the perineal body. And in the perineal body, there's a lot of different muscles that kind of come together and fuse there. There's connective tissue. And then the muscles that are most involved with anal sphincter control are the external anal sphincter, um, which is basically the muscle that squeezes when you're in a crowded room and you don't want to pass gas and you voluntarily squeeze. That's what's doing that work. And then there's the internal anal sphincter. And that's really what manages like 70% of your resting tone. So when you're walking around and not thinking about your bowels or passing gas or, or having a bowel movement, then that's what's doing that work and keeping you continent. And so those are those are the two main portions of the anal sphincter that get injured in obstetrical injury. When I say that, I'm talking mainly about like a, a perineal tear. So you know, when when the baby is delivered and you have like a tear that needs stitches, that's what we're talking about. Those are kind of birth injuries that can happen that are kind of harder to diagnose and harder to see, and those can lead to other pelvic floor disorders down the road. Like, like the prolapse and urinary incontinence and things like that. When it comes to like pelvic floor birth injury, the first types of injuries that come to mind with a delivery are, are those anal sphincter injuries. Okay. And yeah, a lot of like when you injure the anal sphincter um, during a delivery, 
it does put you at a higher risk for all those things you're talking about, the, the anal sphincter incontinence, so gas and stool leakage. And that's for a lot of reasons, like those tears in general are just at a higher risk of having like an infection just based on their location or poor healing or a wound breakdown. Uh-huh. And so they're more susceptible to poor healing. And that kind of translates to, to worse symptoms down the road. Now, the average delivery, it doesn't involve the sphincter. Like you said, you know, not that many people overall out of first time deliveries, you know, the risk of injuring the anal sphincter is around 6%. Uh-huh. And it's lower the second time around. But if you are in that group, then the chance of you having these unpleasant symptoms of dual incontinence are much higher than the average person. Yeah. A lot of women say they are worried about delivery because they're worried about tearing. But most often they're having like first degree or second degree tear. So it's not actually going into the rectum. It's like involving more superficial tissue, basically. Right. There are other muscles there. There's like a hammock of muscles in the pelvic floor called the levator ani muscles. And there are little portions of those muscles that come down and fuse in the perineum. And there's another muscle called the superficial transverse perineal muscle that's there too. But they're not as important for anal incontinence. They are involved in support of the pelvic floor. And so, you know, injury to those could also, you know, have implications for pelvic floor support Uh down the road. But in terms of the anal sphincter injury, those lesser tears that don't involve the external and the internal sphincter have less of an impact. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about people who might experience those third or fourth degree tears, those ones involving the anal sphincters. What do they need? (laughs) And, you know, what is their recovery like? Is this something that you specialize in? Sure. So I think the first thing they need is a good and meticulous repair of their injury. So if this were a sports injury, have your team at the sidelines ready to make a diagnosis, get them into the appropriate care. And then, you know, once the healing is on its way, get them into sort of a rehab. Sort of situation. So we think of pelvic floor injuries in the same way. So first step is recognition. So having a good obstetrical team who can say like, yes, you know, XYZ portion of the sphincter has been injured and having the expertise to get it back together and repair all layers of the perineal body. And then next is to have close follow-up. Like these patients need to be seen a little sooner than the standard six-week postpartum because they are at a higher risk of having like a wound breakdown or a separation or an infection or even a rectovaginal fistula, which is an an abnormal connection between the rectum and the vagina form. So they need a little bit closer follow-up. And then once healed, we get them into pelvic floor physical therapy to start rehabbing those muscles and rebuilding the strength that they'll need to reuse them. Yeah. And I think we don't put enough emphasis on pelvic floor physical therapy in general for women after delivery. And we have an episode interviewing a pelvic floor physical therapist coming up, which I'm really excited about. Every woman could benefit from it, but especially these women who have anal sphincter tears really need that rehabilitation. For sure. And it's kind of interesting in young women or, you know, patients who are having deliveries, they be younger and so therefore all your general muscle tone and strength is a little bit higher than it is as we age over time yeah these patients can often compensate so even if they have a sphincter separation or poor healing or you know just something doesn't go well and their their sphincter muscle doesn't get put back together yeah a lot of times they kind of make it past the immediate postpartum period without having those symptoms of anal incontinence yeah and then the incontinence can manifest itself or show itself 10, 20, 30 years down the road. The reason for that is because some of the other anal sphincter 
complex muscles higher up, like the puborectalis muscle can kind of compensate mm. and, and prevent the incontinence. But then as we age, as we lose muscle mass, those start to weaken and kind of lose their ability to help. And then when there's nothing lower down to help with continence, then that's when the, the fecal incontinence tends to show itself. So everything okay. I talked about with, you know, ensuring good healing right after delivery, I think that's really important. And I think it also often gets missed just because there's so many other things going on in the postpartum right. time period. The patient, because of those things I just talked about, may not have the symptoms right this moment. They may say like, oh yeah, no, I, I don't have any problems like okay. you know, with fecal incontinence or accidental bowel leakage. But if the postpartum care provider, whether it's an obstetrician or a nurse midwife or whoever doesn't do a, a thorough exam and recognize that sphincter separation, they could very well have problems with continence down the road. And it could take decades to develop. Yeah. And I imagine trying to address it at that stage is so much harder and getting that rehabilitation. The muscles are just not as strong. So right. But at that point, a decades old injury is fewer options for treating it. So they really do need to get in and rehabilitate themselves. And and hopefully they're with providers who recognize that as well. And even just recognizing the injury, like you mentioned before, that's not the easiest thing to do. You and I have been part of deliveries during our training and the tissue is swollen, things are bleeding yeah. and recognizing the injury, it, it does take expertise and making sure that you're with a skilled provider who can recognize it and then repair it is so important too. Even though this is not happening to the average person with their delivery, we're talking about 6%, that's still six out of a hundred, just kind of a high number. If you ask me when we talk about diseases and risks for different things, definitely not zero. So I talk about this with my colleagues all the time. You and I have talked about this. What do you think we should be telling women? Because women deserve to have all the information at their fingertips, but we also don't want to terrify them, right? Because (laughs) this is not necessarily going to happen to them. The odds are in their favor that they're going to be fine. But, you know, how do you counsel people on this? And what do you think about that? So it really depends on each patient, right? Each person is different. Like it's different if you're talking to someone who's never had a vaginal delivery before versus someone who's had five before. The risks at baseline are just a little bit different. Another thing that I always think about is that everything we do has risk. Just being pregnant in general carries risk. The blood clots and once the baby is in there, there's a risk no matter how you deliver, whether it's by a cesarean section or by vaginal delivery. You really kind of have to weigh the benefits and the risk for each individual person. So that said, you know, a lot of times as a urogynecologist and, you know, someone who treats pelvic floor injuries all the time, and I see the 6% of the anal sphincter lacerations, but also the people that have higher up levator injuries and then develop pelvic organ prolapse and urinary leakage and things like that. Like I'm the person who sees all those pelvic floor disorders, you know, what happens after these birth injuries. Having a vaginal delivery is still ultimately probably safer in the moment than having a C-section just because of the risks that are involved there as well. Having a C-section, number one, doesn't protect you against having a pelvic floor disorder develop on the road because just the act of being pregnant and having all that pressure on the pelvic floor does convey some risk. Number two, there are risks involved with C-section. It's a major abdominal surgery where you can have like bleeding the risk of blood transfusion, you can have blood clots develop, you can have organ space injuries or even infections, organ space infections. There's a lot of things that happen with surgery convey risk to the patient at the, at the 
time of delivery. Yeah. So, you know, those decisions, it, it really depends on the person. Like if it, if it were someone and it was their first delivery and they were planning to have five kids, wouldn't necessarily recommend a C-section because, you know, those risks just compound over time. Yeah, for sure. You have another C-section versus if you were going to just have one kid and you were like, hey, I really don't want any chance of any bad thing happening to my anal sphincter ever, and this is your only, you know, pregnancy, then sure, you can have that conversation with your Mm -hmm. provider about what works for you. But in general, I think there's just so many things to worry about in pregnancy. And like you said, this is a relatively low risk overall. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it's something that's difficult to predict. It really comes down to to the specific situation and what each patient individually needs. Yeah. And I mean, it's good to be aware that it can happen, but that it's most likely not going to happen to you. And if it does happen to you, there are ways to still avoid having the long-term sequela um, by making sure that everything is being addressed, that you're getting the correct surgery, that you're getting the correct uh, recovery and rehabilitation with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times patients believe that having a little urinary leakage or, or something like that is normal after having a baby. And mm-hmm. it's really not, you know, like I think there are so many things going on in that postpartum period where, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're trying yeah. to figure out how to care for this newborn, whether yeah. you're having like feeding issues with breastfeeding or bottle feeding or whatever you're into. There's so many things going on that oftentimes patients neglect themselves or they'll put this mm. on the back for, yeah. for, or they'll just chalk it up to like, oh, you know, when you get to a certain age, everybody pees a little bit if they jump on a trampoline. Right, know? right, right, right. I think the important thing is know that it doesn't have to be your normal. Mm-hmm. If it bothers you, bring it up to your doctor or whoever your provider is. And there are treatments out there. And I think that's the number one thing is often this yeah. gets missed or swept under the rug because either the, the care provider doesn't know that there are treatments or how to address it themselves and so they're less likely to bring it up or the patients think it's not a big deal or that everyone goes through it. Hi friends, I'm here to remind you to subscribe and like to the podcast. I love doing this. I love bringing people on, but I need to know if you're actually listening to me. I get no feedback out here. So I know things are going out and then suddenly I'll talk to someone and they say, oh yeah, I love your podcast. It's awesome. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you were listening. So if you want to stay in the know, you want to get notified when new episodes come back, please, please, please subscribe and like go into your podcast and you just in the upper right corner, you press the plus sign and it turns to a check mark and then you're subscribing. And then of course you can like it five stars, of course, right? If you can, please. And um, if you Spotify, if you Zencaster, whatever you use, it's fine. Just please subscribe and like, thank you. No, that's such a good point. And, you know, not to get on a soapbox, but you know, our six week typical maternity leave is not all that great for a woman's pelvic floor. You said in a presentation I heard you give recently is that you're skidding your baby to a pediatric appointment in the first 24, 48 hours of life. And yet you're waiting six weeks to even be seen. <laughs> having people available to see you and follow up closely is so important and having more opportunities for care for the woman who's recovering. It's crazy. The country that we live in, (laughs) although I love it, you know, we can do a lot better for women postpartum. For sure. I feel like 12 weeks should be the bare bones minimum. 16 weeks would be much better. Those are my own views. Yeah, no. And and just recovery wise, I know there are some things that maybe we should talk about that would put a person at higher risk for having injuries postpartum or having a a larger tear or an anal sphincter tear. Maternal age is one of them. Obesity, gestational diabetes, 
diabetes. And those are the only things that you might kind of know ahead of time, but then also forceps delivery or vacuum delivery, which sometimes it just happens in this issue of an emergency. It's not because that's something necessarily predictable. So even though you might kind of worry if you are over 35, which was when we consider a person advanced maternal age closer to 40, but at the same time, it could happen to anybody because of an emergency. In those emergency situations, the obstetricians or midwives job is to take care of the baby and the mom. And sometimes that means that there might be some extra recovery needed for mom. There are certain things that can help sort of reduce the risk for an anal sphincter injury. And things include like warm compresses during labor in the perineal body and even some stretching of the perineal body um, or working a little bit, you know, starting it from 34 weeks and moving onward. But, but there's not anything that's like, oh man, if you you do this, you won't have any muscle sphincter injury. There are just situations where a forceps delivery is indicated and that's, you know, the outcome yeah. or the goal for having a delivery is to have a healthy mom and a healthy baby when you're done. And yeah. in that moment, if you're in a situation where a forceps delivery is indicated or necessary, it's usually necessary for like fetal indications. And so the goal at that point is to just have a healthy baby. And yeah. I understand that, you know, while a forceps delivery does increase the risk of a anal sphincter or pelvic floor injury, it's a little bit of a trade-off in that time. And I think yeah. most people who are having a delivery are, are willing to undergo that and understand that they'll probably need some pelvic floor rehab afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Again, it goes back to making sure that they understand that and that their providers understand that and getting them in. Because I think in the past, it really has not been emphasized. The recovery has always been a big focus. You know, I think just the attention that we pay to the repair and the emphasis has been growing over time. You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, maybe that wasn't a big focus in the postpartum healing. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about positions of delivering. You know, I've always been very open-minded when it comes to obstetrics and I I believe in having support people like doulas available. But these things have been researched in terms of positioning that you a person gives birth, even water births and using like sort of the birthing stools. And unfortunately, women can still get anal sphincter tears in all of those other positions as well, unfortunately. Yeah. There really hasn't been a whole lot of data that says like one position is way better than any other to prevent an anal Yeah. Happen in any way. I wish I wish we had like some hard data to say like if we do X, Y, and Z, like your chance yeah. is almost nothing, but we, we just don't. Like we talked about, some of the factors are a little bit uncontrollable. Like you can't control how much your baby weighs at the time of delivery, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't always deliver how quickly that baby delivers or comes out. Sometimes really a long second stage, which is the time that you have to push to deliver the baby. Sometimes it's really, really fast. And for all we know and are learning about obstetrics, we just don't have a great idea for who's going to fall into which category. Okay. So best to be informed, but not to worry too much. And if you are in a situation where you need the help, then make sure that you're getting the recovery. And probably everybody should be recovering a little bit more than what we do (laughs) after having I think I think that's a great summary. I mean, there's, I think the goals for future research are going to be to identify who's at the biggest risk and then kind of identify them and target prior to delivery and, you know, maybe have a serious conversation with those patients who we think are going to be at a very high risk for a pelvic floor injury 
mm-hmm. at the time of delivery and maybe talk to those people about whether a C-section is better for them or not. But for reasons we talked about before, like a blanket C-section where everybody isn't the right answer. There's so many other risks involved with abdominal yeah. surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there are people where if you have a very large baby and you're a very small person, you might be at a higher risk of a pelvic floor disorder or an injury during your delivery. And might be reasonable. Yeah. That said, we don't have all of that data yet and we don't have all those tools. And so right now the focus is very much on the recovery and making sure that patients get the care that they need to be able yeah. to heal without deficit in the future makes sense great well thank you so much for your time it's been really interesting conversation and i really appreciate you being here oh it's been a privilege and a pleasure so thank you so much for having me